Good morning. This morning, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. After distilling the nature of the kingdom of God and its priorities, Jesus is concluding his famous Sermon on the Mount uh, by offering his listeners three warnings, three tests to see if they've been following what he's been saying. And today's passage is the second of those three warnings. And Jesus warns his hearers against following the wrong type of leadership. Jesus warns his followers against following the wrong types of leaders. He calls them false prophets or ravenous wolves. This was not a difficult passage uh, for me to study. This was not a difficult message to prepare for unfortunate reasons. I have too often seen destructive leadership in churches. I've seen it throughout church history as I've studied church history I've seen destructive leadership in many other leaders, and I have become very sensitive and aware of destructive tendencies in myself. Religious wolves often have a semblance of spirituality. Religious wolves often have a compelling message or a really good cause to get behind. Religious wolves are often successful at gathering and leading large groups of people. They often produce results. And yes, they even have, in many cases, good theology. They seem to be orthodox in their biblical views, and they seem to have a vast biblical knowledge. As the Apostle Paul said to his mentee, Timothy, they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. Avoid such people, Paul said to Timothy. Now, if the Apostle Paul said, avoid such people, and if Jesus here is telling us, beware of false prophets, then we have got to take this seriously. And so here is perhaps the best way for us to be on guard against following the wrong types of leaders and letting the wrong type of leadership get into the faith community. I think we have to remember this principle and live by this principle, each of us, that leadership in the kingdom of God is marked by sacrificial servanthood. In Jesus' economy, leadership is marked and proved 
by sacrificial servanthood. And notice I'm using the word servanthood. I'm not just saying sacrificial service, not that there's anything wrong with that, but servanthood implies something more. Servanthood connotes a lifestyle. This is who you are. This is how you live. Servanthood characterizes your way of life. And that's what leadership in the kingdom of God should look like. So today we're going to look at what false leaders look like. We're going to talk about what false leaders in the church look like. And we're going to talk about how to spot false leaders in the church. And and we're going to talk about how to spot true leaders also. So how to, uh, what false leaders look like, how to spot them, and how to spot the true faithful leaders. What false leaders look like is actually unsettling. Because Jesus tells us they look like sheep. False leaders look like sheep, Jesus said. In verse 15, he says, They come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, when Matthew here in his gospel uses the term false prophets, this was an old concept. Uh, This idea of false prophets goes all the way back to the Old Testament. For example, in in Jeremiah's day, uh, the false prophets were the professionals. They were the establishment prophets. They were aligned with the royal family. They, They were in league with the priests who persecuted Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and Elijah. And the message of these false prophets was basically this. God isn't displeased with us. The the Babylonians aren't coming to get us. God isn't going to judge us for our wicked ways and our injustices and our selfishness and our depravity. We're okay. Everybody's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. Actually, the more we look like the rest of the world, the more okay we'll be. And God is okay with that. That was their message. And they persecuted Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Elijah for having the opposite message. So so these false prophets were actually institutional oracles that the public and the faith community presumed would be trustworthy because they were official. They were institutionalized. But as early as Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 13, the message of the Old Testament and then the message of the New Testament is clear again and again and again. Watch out for these guys. Diane Langberg is a a psychologist who specializes in treating victims of trauma and abuse, and especially trauma and abuse as it relates to the Christian church. She was in our area a few months ago, and and many of us in in our church were able to hear her. And and, and one of her her seminars uh, was very helpful, very convicting as a leader. She said, false prophets, their orthodoxy and their gifting are their sheep's clothing. Their orthodoxy and their spiritual gifting, that's how they blend in and look like everybody else. She said, but their predatory and exploitive hearts are wolf-like. You see, false leaders are admitted into our fold. They're admired. They're trusted in the church because of their gifting and their knowledge and maybe even their likability. 
before anyone is really in a position to discern their character. They're admitted in and accepted and trusted because of what seems to impress everybody before anyone can actually judge their internal character. Now, eventually, their character is revealed in the results of their message and in the results of their work. And this is very complicated. For today's purposes, I'm going to try and keep it simple. Here are two basic ways we see in Scripture, and history has proven this to be true, uh, two basic ways that false leaders' character is revealed in their message and in their work. False leaders lead the faith community into doctrinal apostasy. They promote false teachings. They promote really what is called in the Bible idolatry, a love of the world and its systems. Uh, False leaders are always trying to get the people of God to conform to the world, for our faith to be more palatable to the world, uh, to look much more like the world. Uh, than a people that have been set apart as different, as peculiar, for God's special purposes. Uh, So, for instance, again, in Jeremiah's day, the false prophets, the prophets who were against him and who persecuted him, uh, they kept saying, look, God is not displeased with us. Uh, What is sin anyway? We're fine. Um, In the New Testament, if you read the first epistle of John, you see that John was speaking against, was working against, a false idea that had crept into the believing community in the first century that Jesus had never come in the flesh. That Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth, uh, was not a physical human being. Um, And so so really you see doctrinal apostasy uh, in, in the message and the work of false leaders. The other thing you see in general is that false leaders are building a systemic corruption in the church. They're building a system and they're weaving relationships in order to gain control and protect their control. And we see this in Jesus's day. What's the group? Who is the group that Jesus is speaking against in his Sermon on the Mount? He mentions the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, if your righteousness looks like the scribes and Pharisees' righteousness, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about their hypocrisy throughout the Sermon on the Mount right? How their outward religion did not match their divided internal intentions and motives. The scribes, the Pharisees, and later in Jesus's ministry, the priests in Jerusalem, uh, they all became highly jealous of Jesus, jealous of John the Baptist because the people followed Jesus, because Jesus's teachings confronted directly the system of influence and power and respect and admiration that the religious professionals of the day enjoyed. And Jesus is basically saying, they're the wolves. The scribes and the Pharisees and the priests, they're the wolves. Now look, of course, I'm oversimplifying things because we don't have a lot of time right now. False leaders are as diverse and complex as all of us are. Uh, But there are some things that they all have in common. Some are predatory or some are just dysfunctional. Some false leaders are predatory. They intend to manipulate, manipulate you. They mean to have mastery over other people. They have an agenda. Some false leaders are just simply 
dysfunctional, right? They're not, they're not trying to cause a problem. They don't have an agenda. They're just dysfunctional people, and they're, they haven't healed from the wounds of their own past. Uh, they haven't had counseling. They haven't had perspective. They haven't been teachable. Uh, and so what they're doing is they're, they're bringing everybody else into their own chaos, they're, they don't. They don't have an agenda, but the, but they're basically they're sucking everybody into their own personal drama. And whether false leaders are predatory or dysfunctional, their impact is the same. They feed on the sheep. They benefit at the expense of the sheep. That's the result of their message. That's the result of their work. The sheep aren't fed. The sheep are preyed upon. The sheep are used. And so the Lord God said through the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 2, Ah, the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? But how do you recognize false leaders if they look like sheep? How do you recognize wolves in sheep's clothing? At first, you probably can't. That's the tension that you and I have to sit in for a little while as we listen to Jesus talking. At first, you probably can't recognize a wolf in sheep's clothing. And so I want to offer two practical tests on how to spot false leaders in the church. Uh, I'm not going to say they're, they're 100% guaranteed, but they are based on what Jesus is saying here. Two practical tests based on what he says twice in the passage. Verse 16 and verse 20, he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. So his first illustration was the difference between wolves and sheep. His second illustration is the difference between a healthy tree and a diseased tree. They may look the same, but they're going to bear different, different fruit based upon their nature. Jesus is saying, eventually, a leader's life and work and ministry will produce results according to his nature. And so, you need two tests. To examine the, the fruit of a leader, you need two tests. You need the test of time and you need the test of reputation. Time and reputation. You need the test of time. You need to be patient. You need to not rush into drawing conclusions about people, either positive or negative conclusions, because you may be wrong at first. Don't rush into drawing conclusions, and don't be quick to give authority to people who have yet to be tested by patient observation. That's critical. Don't give authority to people who have not been tested by patient observation. So you need the test of time, but you also need the test of reputation. Look, you need to be able to observe a person's relationships. You need to be able to look at their relationships with the people in their life who are closest to them, who spend the most time around them, whether it's their family, their marriage, their close friends, uh, the people they work with, whoever they're around most. Look at those relationships and ask yourself, are the people closest to this person flourishing 
or withering? Are they flourishing or withering? I have seen professing Christians with enough good knowledge of the Bible and theology to teach a Sunday school class. I have seen professing Christians with sound theology and vast biblical knowledge prey upon the people in their lives and weaponize their theology and weaponize scripture to feed on other sheep. So time and reputation are two tests that will reveal whether a person is, and here's what's really important, doing the will of God. Ultimately, we're trying to discern, is somebody doing the will of God or not? It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they ascribe to. Are they doing the will of God consistently? Jesus said in verse 21, these, these terrible words, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, see there's a basic confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the Son of God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What has Jesus been addressing all along? What has he been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount? He's been touching on topics like anger and sexual lust. He's been talking about honesty. He's been talking about conflict. He's been talking about worldly possessions, materialism. So in all of these things, now let's apply the Beatitudes. In all of these areas of life, is a person spiritually poor? In all of these things, does a person grieve over his own sin and grieve over the depravity and destruction and sadness that he sees in the world around him? Is a person in all of these areas of life meek, humble, teachable? Is a person merciful? Is a person consistently a peacemaker? Right? In all of these ways, is his Christianity causing persecution for him in his relationship with the people and systems of this world? Or is his version of Christianity actually causing the world to praise him? Jesus said it should cause persecution. In all of these ways, is this Christian leader, is his Christianity uniting the church or dividing it? In time and by reputation, you will be able to recognize false leadership by its fruits. So God help us. God help us, friends, if we do not heed the lessons of time and reputation. Do you you realize what Jesus says he's going to say to these false leaders in verse 23, these terrible words? He says, I will then declare to them. He doesn't even say my father. He's saying, I. So Jesus is setting himself up as the judge of human history. He says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are people who will say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? You see, Jesus reveals the troubling reality that not everyone who associates with him will be received into his kingdom. 
Jesus as the judge of human history will not be impressed by success or even by accuracy. Jesus is looking for obedience. That's what he wants. He wants obedience. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, commenting on this very passage, said, Our confession will not save us. Saying the sinner's prayer, memorizing the Westminster Confession of Faith, having a great testimony, these things won't save us, Bonhoeffer said. God will not ask us someday whether our confession was evangelical, but whether we did God's will. Too often churches and churchgoers are looking not for Christ-like obedience in their leaders. They're looking for success, Diane Langberg says. Too often, church-going people and church leadership, uh, when they invest in new leaders, they're not looking for obedience. They're looking for worldly signs of success. And the proof of it is in what Paul said to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul basically said, Timothy, this is why I am telling you to preach the word in season, out of season. Always preach the word as a leader. He said, this is why. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You see, the same wolfish tendencies that are in false leaders, the same disease that's in them, it's in all of us. Paul says it's in all of us. Leaders, false leaders, are often a reflection of the people who put them into authority. The people who lend their ears. You and I are often not satisfied with, to put it in Jesus' words, every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, We often choose to starve ourselves of the wisdom and peace of God. Um, We starve ourselves of what is truly life and what what is truth and what is beauty, and what is love, and what is justice, and what is righteousness. We, we starve ourselves of every word that comes from the mouth of God the Father, and, and, and we still got to eat. We're starving, but we still got to eat. So we develop these ravenous appetites for what's out there in the world, and, and, and we begin to devour whatever we hear, um, what sounds best to us. And And you know what starving sheep do, Diane Langberg said? They start to prey on one another. They become wolves. And and we begin to devour each other and leaders and followers, shepherds and sheep devouring one another. So churches actually then become hostile environments. Have you ever thought that sometimes the church is the most unhealthy place to be? Sometimes it can be. And not only as a follower and a congregant, sometimes the church is a hostile environment for the leader. Churches become hostile environments where leaders prey on followers, the very followers who gave them authority by looking for the wrong 
qualities in leaders. Here's how to spot true leaders who do God's will. Here's how to spot true leaders who are following the Jesus who preached the Sermon on the Mount. We spot true leaders as each of us, each of us, models his or her own life after Jesus alone. Models our life after his sacrificial service, servanthood, and hopes in him alone. It's not enough for Jesus to be your model. He has to be your only hope. Model your life after and hope in Christ alone. That's the foundation of being able as an individual and as a faith community to spot true Christ-like leadership. God said to the ancient shepherds of Israel, you've been praying on the sheep. And you know what? In Ezekiel chapter 34, God said, you know what? I'm going to come and search for my sheep myself. I will feed them myself. My servant David will feed them. He will be their shepherd and he will be their God. And then Jesus of Nazareth comes along and he says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And then he said this, I lay down my life for the sheep. Diane Langberg again said, Jesus Christ became a lamb a dead one, to serve the sheep. Christianity is that the infinite creator became the most vulnerable of all creatures. An embryo, a baby, a human who lived his life as a servant. A servant. That's the Christian message. By associating with the sheep, Jesus the King became the very opposite of wolfish. So the way, Diane Langberg again, the way to recognize wolves, she said, is not to become one. The best way to recognize wolves is to guard against becoming one yourself. To model your own life after Christ's servanthood and to hope in his servanthood on your behalf. When Jesus becomes your model of how to live and how to lead other people and how to impact other people, and when Jesus becomes your only hope, that's your best guard, that's your best guard against false leadership. False disciples are not poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is how Jesus opened up the entire Sermon on the Mount. Well, false disciples and false leaders are not poor in spirit. They are anything but poor in spirit. But the true ones, the true disciples of Christ, they mimic him who became poor so that we all could become rich. The true disciples, the true leaders in Christ's church mimic their master who became poor, though he was rich. 
leadership in the kingdom of God is marked by sacrificial servanthood. That is the best preventative. That is the best proactive measure against false leadership and an embracing of true Christ-like leadership. Now look, the, the church as an organization, from the people of Israel until this very day and until Jesus comes back, the church as an organization has gotten it wrong and will still get it wrong. The church as an organization and individual Christians will not always rightly spot will, wolves. We will sometimes unknowingly or unwisely give power to the wrong people. But Jesus knows. Jesus sees. He will not let wolfish behavior go unpunished. And if you don't catch a wolf in this life, Jesus will catch him in the next. And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Don't let him say that to you. He's giving you a chance right now to embrace his way of life, which is a life marked by servanthood, where you're not devouring other people, but you are serving other people. And if you find that you are wolf-like in any way, get help. Start to process the way you have been hurt or abused or victimized or preyed upon yourself in your life. Get help. Become teachable. Get counseling. Talk to one of us. Talk to a Christian you trust. Get healthy, friend, so that you can feast on the wisdom and grace of Jesus Christ and stop feasting upon people who are vulnerable. And if you are vulnerable, and if you have been vulnerable, trust in Christ alone to give you the wisdom you need to interact with leaders and to give you the protection you need against those who are predatory. And if we come together, a predator cannot harm any of us individually. That's why we need each other. That's why we need the wisdom of God and the community of God because predators go after those who isolate themselves or have, who have been isolated. Jesus knows, Jesus sees, Jesus will protect his sheep for whom he died. He is our true north. He is our true north regarding what to look for in our leadership. May we seek him alone and may we trust in his righteousness and not in our own. Let's pray. Father, these have been hard words coming from the mouth of our Lord Jesus. Uh, they are sobering. Uh, they are even frightening. But Father, I pray that for us, for, for those who truly are following Jesus or, or who are listening and truly desire to follow him and to, and to seek him more, I pray that these would be words of encouragement, that you are looking for those who are willing to impoverish ourselves so that others can flourish. Father, help us to flourish in Christ alone and in his name. Help us to not pray upon one another, but to bless one another, to serve one another. Father, I pray that this church, that our church would be a place where your sheep are safe because Jesus protects them, where your sheep are safe, because your under shepherds are humble men 
who are teachable, who are truly following Jesus and not the world, who are truly following Jesus and not their own desires for power or influence or success. Help each of us. Help me to keep our eyes on Jesus, who, though he was rich, became poor, so that we may become rich, so that we may be blessed with abundant life and hope and peace. Father, help Deep Run Church be a safe place for people to heal in unity. Father, guard us and guard our leadership from those who are false and help us, Lord, to remain true as leaders and as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Amen.